How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Catapulting Commission Show. I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Our guest, John Israel, is the founder and chief gratitude officer of Mr. Thank You, a consulting firm focused on client and employee retention. John is one of the most sought-after speakers and trainers who teaches companies both big and small how to become irreplaceable by creating thriving and profitable relationships both inside and outside the organization. His work has been featured on ABC News, Fox News, Good Morning America, and his clients include global brands such as Square, Remax, Fairway Mortgage, Salesforce, and many others. John began his business career at the ripe age of 19 and became the top 1% in sales for his company in just a few short years. John's loyal customer base helped him thrive during the, one of the country's worst economic times and become the basis of his success through relationships programming. In October 2016, John's love of people led him to start a personal social experiment on human connection that became a worldwide movement and a, a book and a TEDx talk, The Mr. Thank You Project. More than anything, John loves to help people build a business they love and that loves them back. John lives in Dallas with his wife, three children, and a loyal chihuahua. John, welcome to the Catapulting Commission Show. Anthony, that was a fantastic introduction, man. I love that. I should just take the recording of you saying that. And then anytime I meet somebody new, I'm just going to be like, hang on a second. And I'm just going to hit play. And then it's just going to, you just get to say it to them. I love it. Good, man. I'm <laughs> glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I could give you some service, man. I think it's one, dude. I'm super excited to have you on this show, John. Yeah, happy um, to be here. Now, many people, when I say I have a buddy, Right. And I consider John a friend that is Mr. Thank you. It is <laughs> it is a conversation of, well, what is Mr. Thank you? Right. What's the Mr. Thank you project? And I've redirected people to your TED talk. We've seen the thank you cards. Can you tell us a little bit about this Mr. Thank you project? What did start? What moved it? How did you get inspired by it? And uh, yeah, let's go from there. Yeah. Well, so what's what's really great. And Anthony, I know a lot of your listeners are in sales. They're either in sales leadership, sales uh, management, or or they're in sales directly themselves and they work with customers. And the story of this, this title of Mr. Thank You came back when I was a 19-year-old college student and I was actually selling Cutco knives house to house uh, for a summer job between semesters of college. So I was going to Gonzaga University in Washington State. I'm from San Diego, California. So I was back home just you know selling knives house to house. And, and one, what happened uh, when I first started getting, got into sales, I, I didn't have a desire to be a salesperson. My degree is kinesiology. So for all intents and purposes, I'm supposed to be a chiropractor right now. But life had different plans as many people who get into sales realize the lucrative nature of it. And you learn that you love people or whatever it is that gets you into it and keeps you into it. For me, it was the people. And I remember this one woman I sat down with. Her name was Cynthia. And Cynthia was, uh, she was a single mom uh, who had two boys and they, she had raised them up through college. They, they were just moving out of the house. Um, and, uh, the reason I know these things, by the way, is because when I met her, we got to have this conversation and we just had this great rapport that we built, um, through just, you know, really quality questions that my manager taught me to ask customers when I first met them. And when you're a 19 year old talking to a 55 year old, it's kind of an interesting interaction, right? And what was really amazing was how much she opened up to me and how much we connected. And, and ultimately, at the end of the appointment, she winds up placing a modest order of Cutco knives, right? Which was great. Well, so here's where it got kind of crazy. Uh, 24 hours later, I, I remember sitting in my car um, and I get a phone call and it's from Cynthia. And she says, hey, John, this is Cynthia. Um, you know, I'm so sorry I have to do this, but uh, I need you to cancel my order. And I was really confused and I was like, uh, um, uh, okay, is everything all right? Is there anything I did? Is there anything I said? And and she's like, no, no, I just, you know, I can't talk about it. I just need to know that you can cancel my order. And, you know, for any of us who've been in sales and had that phone call, right, or received that email of that customer going back on a contract or the agreement, you know, whether it be a $300 set of kitchen knives or a, you know, multi-million dollar deal, it doesn't feel good when you get that phone call. So I said, yeah, of course, I'll find a way to cancel your order. I cancel, I call Cutco, cancel it. Everything's good. 
to the customer. I felt terrible. I felt like I was confused. I was upset. I was angry. And I remember coming home and I was, I was upset. And I, I, my mom could tell that something was wrong. And she said, what's wrong? And I tell her, you know, I had this customer, she bought some cut code, then she canceled it. And I don't know why. And I'm, I'm just upset about it. Um, I don't think it's fair that she did that. She went back on her word, right? So I'm like blaming her. I'm like a typical 19 year old here. Yeah. Right? And, and so she says, well, have you ever had somebody who ever just didn't buy? And I said, yeah, of course, I've had people who I've demoed on and they just didn't purchase. She's like, well, why can't you think of this experience like one of those? And I thought about it. And what I really, what I noticed, Anthony, was I wasn't upset that I lost the sale. I was upset that I lost the relationship. It was that connection I made with this person that was beyond just them buying something. But I just got to meet, I felt like I made a friend that suddenly I didn't, I suddenly didn't get to have my friend anymore, right? It was just this weird experience. And so my, my mom says, well, why don't you tell her that? It's like, tell her that. What do you mean? She's like, well, what if you wrote her a thank you card? And and I said, mom, that's, what do I have to be grateful for? She just canceled her (laughs) order. And and she said, well, what about all those things that, all those nice things that you just said about her, what you enjoyed about meeting her? What if you just said that? And I I didn't have a good response. And I was like, all right, fine. So I I pull some stationery out of her desk and I, I sit down there and I, I, and I, I have to pause and think, right? Because when you're, here's the thing with gratitude. It's gratitude is a reflective state. You have to literally pause where you're at with anything and everything that's going on. And you have to reflect on an experience and ask yourself, what's good about this? What can I appreciate? What is a value here? And, And this is the letter that came out for Cynthia. And I said, you know, dear Cynthia, um, you know, I, I wanted to just reach out and say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. And I appreciate you letting me practice my demonstration of Cutco Knives on you. Um, and I loved beyond that getting to hear about your boys and your life and your family and how proud of them you are. And I just, I know right now is not the time for you to be buying any Cutco. And I just wanted to say, don't worry about it. If you ever need anything in the future, let me know. But I just wanted to let you know I enjoyed meeting you as a person. Sincerely, Cutco John. So I signed everything back then was Cutco John. So two things happened, which was interesting, Anthony. Number one is I wrote this letter. I mailed it off. Instantly, I felt better. Instantly, that that frustration, anger, all of that just dissipated and went away. The second thing that happened was actually two years later. I'm sitting in my college dorm room, still selling Cutco. Get a call from, uh, I get a random call from San Diego. Uh, Don't recognize it. I answer the call and I just hear this super excited woman on the other line. And she says, is this Cutco John? And I said, yeah, this is Cutco John. Who's this? She says, well, you might not remember me. My name is Cynthia. And I tried to buy some knives from you several years ago, but I had to cancel. I was wondering if you're still selling Cutco and if I can still buy them from you. And I was like, oh my gosh, Cynthia, of course I remember you. You're like, yeah, what do you want? What do you need? So she's like, well, I got my catalog and and here's what I want. And then, and Anthony, she just goes off and starts listing everything she wants. And she keeps going and going and this was about to become one of the biggest orders of my career. Wow. And we're finishing up. She pays for her order. And I'm just dumbfounded on the other side of this phone. And she says, John, do you know why I'm calling you right now? And I said, I have no idea. She says, well, what I couldn't tell you all those years ago when I had to cancel my order is that I had just found out that I was extremely sick. I was actually so sick that I had to leave my job. Uh, I was so sick that my boys who had moved out of the house had to move back in uh, to live with me to take care of me while I went through treatment. And while the last thing I wanted to do was to cancel my order, I just absolutely had to. Wow. And then when I got your letter in the mail, I realized you valued me as a human being more than just a customer. And I told myself when I get healthy one day, I'm going to call this kid and I'm going to buy every damn knife he's selling. And that's what she did. you know, and Anthony, what a lesson to learn at 21 years old, you know, to learn how to value people over profit, you know, because if you've been in the game long enough, you sold to enough customers, you built enough relationships, you realize that it's people who bring, bring you your profit. It's not just a customer. It's not just a credit card or a credit score. It's, it's a human being behind that, just like you, just like your sister, just like your mother, just like your aunt and uncle. It's a human being there. And when people feel honored, valued, and respected, that's something they don't get in a typical sales interaction. And, you know, right now, my, the, joy, the, the joy of what I get to do is I get to teach companies about loyalty and, and retention with, cl- with clients and employees. And it's the same thing. It's that, that feeling that people need to have 
of being valued more than just the money. Now, because here's the thing, when they feel that, they will bring you more money. They will bring you more customers. And that became kind of like my philosophy in business. And it really escalated uh, beyond that. And, and ultimately, over time, that developed into this project where I made this commitment for one year to handwrite five thank you cards every day for 365 days in a row. And that's where that kind of worked into like a TED Talk and a book. And, you know, it's kind of the basis of a lot of uh, the, the research and experience I have when I speak to companies on loyalty. And it really comes down to that, that ability is like, can you make that level of connection with the people you work with both inside and outside your organization? John, that story is so profound. I mean, the lesson you learned as a 21-year-old college kid from action you took as a 19-year-old college kid, I, I truly think there's so much to be learned in that lesson there that sales leaders salespeople, we obviously don't, you know, we, we don't see that right away. I mean, I remember being a salesperson early in my career and, and, you know, fun fact, I also sold Cutco with John many years ago. That's how we first connected, but you know, we're so worried about us, right? What's in it for me? How can I make money? You know, even now I, you know, I manage a high performing team and, and there's times I hear conversations with people of, Everything is self-service. Like I have a mortgage, I have kids, I have bills to pay. And you took the area where I'm like, no, I care about you as a person. Whether you can give me anything in return, it doesn't mean that I can't be a decent human being to you, care about you, and thank you for the experience we had. That that is an awesome, profound story. You mentioned something there about, you know, this was the basis, the basis for your current work in in developing that ability to be memorable or be irreplaceable, right? What has happened since then? You've taken the Mr. Thank You project, you started that. Now, how are people applying some of these messages today? What 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 can someone take from that? Yeah. So so here's here's the interesting thing. Um so the the title of the message that I, I deliver a lot now, whether it be keynotes or workshops or whatever, is called Becoming Irreplaceable, Increasing Human Relevance in the Automated Marketplace, which is like, how do we as people stay relevant as the world continues to go digital, as an app can do a sales rep's job sometimes better, faster, more efficient than than the sales rep can. So what is it that we can do to stay relevant and stay valuable? And so it, the, the Mr. Thank You project, the work, was really foundational from the perspective of understanding what is it that people want? What is it that has them um, want to be loyal? And you know, I did some really interesting research um, on kind of the overall human automation and what goes into um, automated jobs. And, and actually, I have some interesting stats uh, that I that I can share with some of your listeners as far as um, human Please. automation. And a lot of this really, it stems from uh, a research study uh, done at Oxford um, by Carl Benedict Frey and Michael Osborne called The Future of Employment. And he went through and basically looked at um, all of the jobs. He, actually, he specifically focused on the, the U.S. job market because that's kind of the most robust kind of economy in the world right now as far as like how it also influences where everyone else winds up going with their country. So and here's some of the examples. So he looked at what, what percent likelihood is a job to be automated? And the first one, so taxi drivers, for example, taxi drivers and chauffeurs, 89% likelihood that those jobs will be automated within 20 years, right? And what's interesting about that, I have a friend in Los Angeles who took a picture outside of his Uber, it was a Tesla, and he said, this was my first uh, uh, non-driver assisted Uber trip, meaning that there was a, a human being in the seat, but he didn't touch the wheel. And, and, wow. and the car drove him and his wife to where they wanted to go. And I was like, man, that's real. That's here. Like, we're all experiencing that. Or we're going to experience that soon. Uh, personal financial advisors, right? 58% likelihood that those jobs can get automated uh, within the next 20 years. Real estate agents, right? One of the big audiences I speak to is real estate and mortgage. 86% um, likelihood that the job could be automated within the next uh, 20 years. Uh, insurance sales, 92%. Uh, mortgage loan officers, 98%. That's, I mean, which, which wow. is crazy, you know, in this moment right now is where, you know, we're going to somewhat date this, um, this podcast, but there's a huge refinance boom going on for, for Americans to be able to refinance their homes and get a great rate. Um, and so mortgage loan officers are really crushing it right now, but it, it, they're, and they're critical. So 
But there's this component of there's all these jobs that have this high likelihood of automation. So the question lies, and this is the interesting thing, Anthony. So if 98% likelihood that their job could be automated, where does that 2% lay? What is what is it about that 2% that it's not 100%? And that's the human piece. That's that component of what a human can do that a robot can never do. And there, and when you know, doing kind of really running through his research, there's there's three main areas that I found that we discovered that allow salespeople, sales leaders, sales managers to continue to be relevant as the world becomes more automated. Number one, the first thing was advocacy, advocacy, persuasion, and influence. You know, one of the interesting things, if you look at all the jobs that are likely to be automated, you look at attorneys, attorneys had a 4% likelihood of being automated. That's wow. significantly different. Why is that? Because it, you have a human being who has to be able to take data, research, information, and to be able to make a case. They have to have empathy. They have to have this ability to fight for you, right? A robot can't really fight for you. Right. It's like, have you ever had a problem with your bill on like a cell phone or something and you want to get it fixed? You call the 1-800 number. Now, do you call the 1-800 number hoping you get a robot? No, no. never. <laughs> you want a person. Why do you want a person? Because, because the person is who you can negotiate with. The person is who you want to go fight for you to say, okay, well, let me see what I can do for you. Let's see if we can save your account. It's that human interaction that we want someone to advocate for us. That's what part of our job is as a salesperson. It's not just making a sale, but it's having the customer. And this is key. A lot of sales is perception. We want them to have the experience that we are fighting for them. We want them to feel like we are on their side, you know, against the big bad company who has that product they want. We're trying to help them uh, through that process. Advocacy, persuasion, and influence is one thing we pay people to do that we cannot pay a robot to do. A second thing is coaching and leadership, right? You know, I know a big, uh, what you do, Anthony, is you're in, uh, in sales leadership and sales management. Here, here's an interesting fact. Sales managers had a, uh, a likelihood of 15% uh, likelihood of being replaced, which wow. is interesting, right? How can sales have such a high, high likelihood of being replaced, but, but sales management cannot? It's because there's that component of can you coach? Can you lead? You know, when, if I were to ask you, Anthony, hey, who do you accept leadership from? Um, you probably wouldn't give me an app. You probably wouldn't say, <laughs> oh, this great website that, I mean, maybe if that website was run by a person, right? We want to accept leadership and coaching from a person. And then the third piece is education and expertise. This is one of the key things that when we're working with a person, especially this is where you know you look at real estate or any anything that has especially a high price tag to it where people have fear of making a mistake. They want an expert. They want somebody who looks sounds looks and sounds like they know what they're talking about. Now ideally you you actually know what you're talking about. You have an expertise. But it's being able to do that that extra work to develop yourself that way. And when you can, that's why like personal growth, I know you're really big into personal mm -hmm. growth. People listening to this podcast, you fit this model of, of honing your craft. But the more you can do that for your customers, the more irreplaceable you can be. So I, I say this because as people are growing in their sales roles, it's not just about how much more can you sell? It's about how much more of these qualities and characteristics can you embody in your selling process, in your leadership process that will make you irreplaceable. When someone is a fantastic coach or a fantastic leader, how easy, how, how hard is it for that company to let that person go? They're like, oh, everyone loves them. They're so connected. We, we can't just fire them, right? Uh, or when someone's got a great client base, they're so persuasive and influential. That's the last person they want to see let go. So it's not just being a good salesperson. It's, it's embodying these qualities of advocacy, persuasion, and influence, coaching and leadership, and really developing that education and expertise that you can represent to your customers. And that's kind of the basis of our research of what we found helps companies, help, help salespeople really become ir, uh, irreplaceable with their customers and with their, with their business. That, the amount of notes I just took right now, John, one, ran out of room on the paper, two, Super groundbreaking. I mean, I think that ability to become irreplaceable, it's such a forward-thinking concept that not enough people are doing that right now. And, and that future of employment, that U.S. job market, I think it has to challenge some people. How do I 
think at a bigger scale. Because if if I do what we did five years ago to be successful, likelihood that's not going to be successful in 10, 15, 20 years from now. Correct. And you know, if you're listening and, and you're like, hey, I'm retired in five or 10 years, great. But if you're not, if you're not in that boat and you're like, I need to figure out how to be relevant, I think this program in and this concept that you bring, John, of becoming irreplaceable is extremely valuable. Now, some of the listeners here are salespeople, are sales professionals, sales leaders. And how does somebody take this knowledge that we've just laid out, that we have to find a way to have influence, coaching and leadership, to demonstrate a level of education and expertise as a sales leader? How do you display that so you become irreplaceable to the people around you? Yeah, this is such a great question, Anthony, because there, there's there's a uh, there's a a secondary argument here as far as like ways to become irreplaceable, and this is kind of more of the practicality of it, right? Like, so conceptually, these sound like great ideas, but what do you actually do with it, right? How do you apply it? So there, there is, and this is where the piece of, especially with a lot of the work around, uh, you know, writing 1,825 thank you cards in a year, like what you can learn from, from reaching out to and expressing love and gratitude with that many people is number one is you get really connected. And so I, I spend a lot of time in research on like, what does it really look like? What does it really mean to be to be truly connected with somebody. And, and what I came up with was on this concept of relevance, right? We're talking about relevance uh, with customers. But just to take it a step deeper, you can look at interpersonal, just everyday relationships. And when you understand this on the business level, it'll be a game changer, which is what goes into a relevant relationship, right? And, and it's kind of an interesting question. What I learned uh, and, and what you will also notice is that when you look at a, a relationship that's very relevant to you, there are three key components that are present. Uh, and, and this is and the way I'll state this is these are three questions that you want to know the answer to about your customers, about your salespeople. And if you know the answers to these questions, you can have influence with them because you will be better connected to them than most anybody in their life. So here's the three questions you want to know the answers to. Number one is, what do they value? Like, what do they care about? What really matters to this person? What are their values? Number two is, what are their goals? Why are they showing up to work? What is it that they want out of their life? What are they trying to accomplish? And number three is, where does it hurt? Where is their pain? What is challenging that they're dealing with? And what's really interesting, Anthony, is if you look at your most intimate, most connected relationships, how many of those relationships, when you look at that list of three things, right, uh, values, goals, and awareness of solution to pain, how, how many of those things do, does that not apply to them? You know, it, what, I did this really unofficial research. I, I do this all the time with Facebook and I'll post a question and I'll just, I'll get feedback from the community. And one of the interesting things I asked Anthony is I said, what makes a good friend? You know, the number one answer that I got from what makes a good friend was really focusing on that third question, which is where does it hurt? What, where is their pain? And the answers that came back were, how this person showed up during a challenging time, how uh, how somebody reacted or responded when there was a death in the family or, or when their spouse lost their job or when they got injured and how people came over to help take care of them when things like that were going on. And it was really remarkable to see how much when we can lean into people when they're challenging or when they're in pain to be able to help them, how much more connected we are with those people. And so when you want to make a, a really meaningful connection with a customer, with a client, somehow way in, in a way, shape, or form to be able to find out the answers to those things, what is it that they value? What is their, you know, do they have a religious preference? You know, do, are they Christian, Catholic, Buddhist? Uh, uh, what do they believe in? What are their values? Are they married? Do they have kids? One of the fun, you know, it's kind of a funny question, Anthony, but one of the things I love to ask people when I meet a married man who's a business person or like at an event or a conference, I love to say, when I found out they're married and they have kids and I'm like, oh, how long have they been married for? And they say, you know, 10 years. And I, and I just say, oh, awesome. What's your wife's name? Uh, her name is Jessica. Okay, great. What do you love about your wife? And I just see these business guys just kind of melt down, like melt a little bit. And they're like, oh man, 
she's the freaking best. I mean, she's done, she's been with me with all these hard times and through tough economies and job changes and travel and moving and all this stuff. And then we, we basically get to have a conversation about something that they value, something that they care about. And there is this concept that everybody has heard where, and I don't know who to attribute this quote to because I think it's been quoted by multiple people, but um, people don't always remember what you said, what you did, but they always remember how you made them feel, right? Well, what does that mean? How do you actually do that? Well, it's because of the emotional draw you can pull from people during the conversation. So finding out what do they care about, what do they value asking those questions is that the, the second thing, and this is part of like, you know, the selling process, right. You know, in, in medical device sales or whatever, it's like, well, what's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? And even bigger than that, why are you even running this business? What got you into becoming a medical doctor or what got you into this role that you're in right now? And you can start to learn more about people by understanding what drives them. What are their goals? And then uh, third is asking the question, what's the hardest thing that you're experiencing right now in your business. That's another say, way of saying, where does it hurt? Yeah. And, and a fun fact about that, I used to do that when I was in, um, I was in more of like a business of business sales and I would sit down with, uh, I was doing enterprise sales mm. and I would ask that question, hey, what's the hardest part? Like I would do a great sales presentation and outside of the sales presentation, I would just say, hey, what's the hardest thing that you're experiencing right now in your job? And one of the common things that would come up, especially with my clientele at that time, was like, oh man, you know, I just I need an assistant, I need a staff person, I need to, I need to, I need to hire somebody who can do this. And I said, okay, really, tell me more about who that person is. You know, I've got a huge network. I would love to, if I can, you know, put some feelers out and and see if maybe I can help you find that person. And you see this person who suddenly, again, they're in pain, they're like, they're challenged with a struggle. And they're like, dude, this salesperson is asking how to help me with one of the biggest challenges. My, I can't even get my freaking boss <laughs> to help me with. <laughs> and it's amazing how, when you think, and this is when I, when you want to look at the, how good of a relationship you have with somebody, I call it the cell phone test. When your phone call comes in and they see your name, how do they react? Is it an experience of, oh, he's just going to ask me for another order? Oh, he's going to ask me for payment? Or is it like, oh, it's John. I love John. John's a giver. John's someone who asks questions. John actually cares about me. And that became really the basis of what I tried to build with the relationships with my customers. And that's the thing is, how do you become irreplaceable? Is it's you, you, you know those things, number one, but you try to do something to help them with it. And when you can do that, like that's somebody you don't want to get rid of. Like that's somebody you might actually consider you would fight to keep in your business. You might send them more customers just to keep them afloat in a down economy because you love them so much. So how do you become irreplaceable? It's you know those characteristics about your customers or about your team. What do they care about? What are their biggest goals? What is their biggest pain or challenges they're dealing with? And how can I serve them and support them in those three things? To the degree you serve people with those three areas, you are irreplaceable to them. And to the degree, number one, you don't know those things and you don't serve them, you are a commodity. That is, wow. So I, I completely dig what you're saying. And I think that that is extremely, pro, extremely impactful for someone to hear that your relationship's relevancy Right, you have these three line of questions: value, goals, pain. And as you were saying that, John, I couldn't help but think of my most relevant relationship, which is with my wife. And as you said that, I'm like, man, I know what my wife values. I know what her goals are. I know what's hurting her, or what hurts her, or how she's going to respond, and vice versa. She knows how that feels for me. So then you start. So I, as I think about, I'm like, okay, let me move a layer out. What does my relationship with my children look like? Yeah, probably similar in that same area right now. But if I take that same approach and I move it to business and I look at the team, right? I I manage a a high-performing sales team. Some of my best relationships, they start to fall into that category. And and I think about customers, right? Over the years, the customers I've built, I've, you know, it's funny. I never pinpointed it to these three questions, but if I can, you know, retrospectively look back at that relationship and analyze it all that it fits in that category that is uh wow Uh, yeah again i think you're you're delivering some great great value here how do we do that how do we take this relationship because it sounds really it's easy to say right you and i are talking like oh you need to have this have a great relevant relationship but how do i do that with someone who doesn't know i'm trying to do that with them or 
isn't receptive yet or is kind of like, hey, you know, let's talk sales leadership. You just hired me into your sales organization, Anthony, and now you're asking me all these questions. You're trying to figure it out. How do we bridge that gap and turn that relationship relevant? You know, let's just say the other party is still warming up to us. Yeah. Well, and I think the interesting thing is it's it, it is actually taking it, it, it sounds silly, but it's, it's literally taking the time to ask those questions. Right. Without with all of them. Right. And to in or at least becoming aware of it. Um, now, here's the fun. Here's the fun thing. And this this sounds like, OK, really, is it that simple? Um, but after every time I interact with a customer or a person or a uh, well, I mean, typically in this scenario, we're talking about a customer uh, or a, a client or a, a prospect or you know a salesperson or someone that we want to uh, influence to some degree. Um, the idea of asking these three questions, what do they care about? Uh, what are their goals and where does it hurt? It actually became my process of how to write a thank you card to somebody in what I would acknowledge after meeting them. And I might not know all those things, but I would at least learn a few of them. And I would, you know, in just saying, uh, um, you know, give, by the way, and just to kind of pause for a second, cause I want to, I want to step into your world or, uh, you know, use a real example. Give me an example of a scenario that you're thinking where this might apply or where someone might apply this. So I hire somebody, somebody's mm -hmm. new to my team, right? I get somebody who transferred. We typically in this space of let's go macro level, the world that I recruit in, I hire and train developed experienced sales professionals. I don't want to, you know, I hate saying age on the air because it does kind of, but if I bring a 40 year old man who's made 250 grand for the past 15 years, and he's like, I run this process. I don't need you to be in my life. I can do this, right? How do I execute that? How do I, how do I have him see the value of this relationship? So I kind of look at it as, you know, I don't want to say the other person is not reciprocating, but the other person is content with being in their own lane, being in their own silo. And the the challenge with that is when you have somebody who's that successful, who's been, you'll have a hard time keeping them. And I know that because I have people on my team that fall in that category. And then salesforce.com calls or Google calls. And you're like, hey, I'm going to offer you 200 grand more. And they're calling me. And I'm like, you know what, man? I yeah, I don't know how to keep you. And you know what? It's almost like either A, do I accept that I'm a stepping ground for these, these you know, seven-figure sales jobs? Or B, do, you know, is there something I'm missing on that relationship? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So can I give a story with this? Yeah. It'll be a little out of left field, but it, it actually teaches a really valuable lesson. All right. So um, this is actually during the Mr. Thank You project when I was writing five thank you cards every day for 365 days in a row. And on day three, uh, I'm actually in Philadelphia and I'm at this thing called the Front Row Dads Retreat. So it's an entrepreneurial men's group that I'm a part of. We get together once a year and talk about how to become better husbands to our wives and fathers to our kids while we run our businesses, right? So it's a really cool event. There's about 30 entrepreneurial dads at this conference. So we finished day one and most of us really hadn't met each other. So we wanted to get to know each other and fellowship and go to a restaurant bar, uh, hang out and get to know each other. So it's October, downtown Philadelphia, 30 dudes walking through downtown. We find this little hole in the wall there's one waitress working that night. Her name's Shantae. She just looks at us and you could tell she was just pissed. She was just like, damn it. I was probably going to go home early tonight, but you guys are going to keep me here all <laughs> night. And, you know, we could tell she was annoyed with us right when we came in, but, you know, she also kind of warmed up to us and she's a professional. She's probably been a server for you know a long time. So she, she knew a good customer when she saw him, 30 entrepreneurial business dudes. She's like, all right, I'm going to rock it. We're going to have a great time tonight. And she did a phenomenal job, right? She's the only waitress to serve 30 guys. And she did a phenomenal job. She got all of her food orders correct, all of her drink orders correct. And she just did like level 11 out of 10 work. I mean, she just did phenomenal. So I realized at the end of the day, I'm like, all right, she's my number five. She's my fifth and final card for today. So this is the card that I write to Shantae. And I say, dear Shantae, I know it might seem strange to receive a thank you card from a patron, but I just wanted to let you know how great of a job you did tonight. What you don't know is that we're a group of entrepreneurial men here for an event to learn how to become better dads and to become better husbands. And while we know we didn't have any reservations, you could have turned us away. We also realized that you could have given us terrible service and we would have understood, but you didn't. You were gracious, you were, you were wonderful, and you helped make tonight amazing. So I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of myself and everybody in our group. Sincerely, John Israel and the Front Row Dads.
So I write that letter. Shante sitting in the corner. I walk over to her. I hand her the card. Uh, she accepts it awkwardly as most strangers do when I hand them a thank you card. <laughs> and and I, I start walking out. Then I realize I need to go to the restroom, right? So I veer back into the restaurant. I go to the bathroom and I come out and, sh and Shante is standing there waiting for me with this huge grin on her face. And she just runs at me and gives me the biggest bear hug of my life and says, that is the best tip that I've ever been given. And then she puts me down. Um, <laughs> Big hug. And we just paused for a moment there and just and just looked at each other. And it wasn't, you know, customer server. It was just human being and human being having a connection. And what I learned in that moment, Anthony, was, was really connecting with a true human needs. Because here's the interesting fact. We gave her a massive tip. Think about that. 30 wow. generous entrepreneurial dudes high on life, just getting out of a conference, super excited, feeling super generous. We gave her a huge tip. She holds up this thank you card and says, this is the best tip that I've ever been given. How is that? How is it that somebody can have two things like that and say, no, this, this is more valuable. And what we learn is more of the human needs component, right? It was once you're above that, like, you know, survival needs and that kind of stuff. One of the things that people really, really want is to have the need to be seen. To be and to be seen for their greatness rather than just their weakness. And it's really easy to point out what people are doing wrong and to point out what's wrong with the world. But when we make it a habit, when we make it a practice to acknowledge people for their greatness, for what, for their contributions. And this is where we're going to get to like staffing. We're going to talk about like how do we keep people around the skill of acknowledgement and really honoring people for all that they put forth into their work is how you keep people loyal. That's one piece, right? And there's this statement that says, you know, people will work, um, uh, they'll work eight hours a day for a paycheck, but they'll work 12 hours a day for a mission. So if you are connecting them to something that is bigger than just themselves, and at the same time, they feel like they matter, they feel like they're valued, they actually want to do it more. And this is an interesting part where it's not just throwing roses at people every time, right? It's not just saying like, just not just promoting the people who are selling the most. Sometimes, and this is really when, when you can get good at acknowledgement, it's acknowledging the hard part of what they do. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. Let me give you an example. So right now, I mean, we're gonna date this again. Right now, yep. coronavirus, is a thing. It is a real freaking thing. <laughs> and I, you know, so I got some salespeople that I train and I develop. And so right now it's, they're being hugely affected. People are losing money. It's, it's not positive for their paychecks. How do you acknowledge people in a moment of fear, scarcity, and all sorts of stuff? Here's how you do it. Hey guys, it's not just saying, Hey, you know what? Great work out there. You're doing an awesome job because that might not be what's happening right now. It's, it's hard to do what they do. But being able to say, hey, guys, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge there's a lot of fear out there right now. And, and if you are experiencing that, if your clients are experiencing that, that is, that is totally understandable. You might even be afraid for your jobs right now. And I, and I get that because there's a reality. There's some question marks out there we don't know. So I just want to take a moment and acknowledge and appreciate everything that you guys are doing and how much harder you're working right now, knowing that there's some uncertainty out there because, you know, what I know about you is you're people who actually care about your results and you're, you're going to do all the extra effort regardless of what the immediate outcomes are because you're here for the long term. 
So I just really appreciate everything you're doing right now, all the extra no's you're experiencing, all the extra driving you're doing to prospects that aren't becoming yeses right now, because you know what, that's going to be a big part of our success story later on. So I just really acknowledge and appreciate all the crap you guys are dealing with right now to do your job. And that is why you're champions. That's why I love you. That's why I'm grateful to be your leader. And that's why we're going to crush it going into the next quarter as best we can with our current circumstances. John, right there. I mean, just that, that, how you ended that right now, I mean, you're connecting people to a mission. And I think that as you discuss and you share that story and you share that, you know, acknowledging what's going on, connecting people, empathizing. What I hear is a, a level of empathy because, you know, one of the one of the challenges is uh, as a sales leader, I know I often look and say, hey, how can I let people that are looking to me for leadership know I understand and I empathize what's going on? And the answer is to truly have an empathetic approach, truly put yourself in someone else's perspective and someone else's shoes. Um, you you. I'm going to piggyback on that story in that restaurant where you, she tells you this is the best tip that she's ever received. You just gave her tons of money. I couldn't help but hear, as you say that, when I talk with people about retaining your sales force or, or employee retention or building a culture, right, the number one thing that people assume people leave organizations for is more money. And it's, you know... The moment you become good or great in your current company and, and you know, you have the accolades that, that go on your LinkedIn profile and people start seeing you becoming influential, someone else is going to pay top dollar to recruit you. And I know I know this because I, when I recruit people to work on my team, you know, I have a recruiter and I'm like, hey, here's what I'm looking for. If they say this is on their accolades, I want to speak to them. Whatever it takes, put them on the phone with me. Let me let me tell them why I want them in my organization. And, you know, I, I have a team and likely there's other companies that do the same thing to my team that have, you know, a bigger bandwidth that can offer a bigger, shinier penny. How do I protect myself? Like, how do I keep those people? I mean, you know, there's one component you talked about as 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 um, connecting people to mission, showing them that they are more valuable than just a paycheck and believing in it. Is there something else that I can do as a sales leader that can make me? irreplaceable to the people on my team or B, how people on my team stay on my team? Yeah. So uh, this is this is kind of an interesting question because uh, retention with employees is is really unique to the fact that, yes, it does get really competitive, right? And, and it's funny because we can actually take this conversation, we could put it on both sides of the fence. How do you use these strategies uh, to actually recruit and how do you use them to retain, right? So on the side of recruiting, you could really, one of the really, one of the easiest, best ways, because when you look at those three things, those three areas of values, goals, and pain, and this is actually a question for you, Anthony, of those three areas, connecting with people through their values, being able to help them with their goals, or serving them with something really challenging or where they really hurt, what of those three things do you think is the most influential? Ooh, um, I, it, Top level thinking, I would say if I can help somebody achieve their goals, that's probably the most influential. Yeah. I could be wrong. So so here's an interesting thing. So when you wrote, so I have this funny story that um, they're all impactful, right? Right. The most common thing we learn is this that third piece. It's the ability to solve a pain. And the analogy I use is the greatest emotion any human being has felt, if you've ever been to a major league sporting event, right? Which is real, which, and this is, this is a funny story, but it totally will make sense to everybody. Imagine having to go to the bathroom really, really bad. And you're sitting there in the middle of this crowd and you just finish your second, you know, diet Coke. And you're like, all right, I really got to go as soon as there's a timeout. Right. So then you stand up timeout. Everyone stands up and you like run in front of everyone. You're running through the line to, to the bathroom. And then you see there's a line and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, then I got to wait longer and longer. And then you, you're, you're finally getting closer and closer. And then you, 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 you walk over to a stall and then it's, you find out that it's, it's a lock and someone's in there and you're like, oh my gosh, I really got to go. And then someone finally comes out, you go in there and you finally get to go yeah. to the bathroom. How does that feel? How good does that feel? <laughs> amazing. Absolutely. One, literally amazing. one of the greatest emotional feelings that release of pressure of pain is one of the greatest emotions we can feel. So everybody has some level of pain. So on the recruiting side, if you want to be a, a powerful recruiter, 
is to be able to ask the question, what is the biggest challenge that you're experiencing or receiving with your current role or company? What support do you really want that you're not getting right now? And let that, and one of the, what's the best sales pitch? It's the one your customer teaches you to give them because you've asked them great questions and you know how to solve this specific problem. You're not solving comp problems. Maybe, maybe that is one of the problems. I really think we should be making money. Maybe they chopped my territory and I'm pissed about that. Whatever it is, solving that problem is what is important. So on the other side with loyalty, still asking that question, what's the hardest part you're experiencing right now? Let's talk about your goals for this year. How are you doing? How are you tracking right now? What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? What's one of the biggest challenges you're experiencing with your territory, with your customers? And then to not be like, okay, great. And then do nothing with it. Most people ask those questions and then do nothing with it, Anthony. That's the problem. And then what happens is pe salespeople start to feel like, all right, cool. I can tell them everything that I need. They ain't going to do jack. So I'm going to start being open-minded. That is what happens. And the, and, and it's, by the way, I get, I totally respect on, cause there's some sales managers here that are like, John, I hear you, but there's like, there's, there's political things internally. I can't, I can't solve every single problem for every single salesperson, but number one, at least ask the question and to at least let them see you are trying to help them. Because if they don't even feel or see that, then they will immediately be open-minded to somebody who does. And by the way, I, I did my best to help that. It's, it's really funny because that person that I was talking about that I, I asked the question, hey, you know, what's one of the biggest pains you're experiencing? And she was like, oh man, I can't, I'm not getting support to get a staff person and all this stuff. And you know what happened? She actually eventually left that company because they wouldn't give her that support. And wow. I, but, but here's the funny thing is while she left, here's the funny thing, Anthony, while she left, she went to a different company because I literally posted on my Facebook, hey, I have a client who's looking for this type of a person. Let me know. And I and actually was like getting some communication back and forth. She stayed loyal to me even though she changed companies because she was like, John's the freaking man. He was doing shit my manager wouldn't even do. He's a salesperson. And that's where you can really step your game up as a salesperson, as a sales leader, when you're committed to not just asking those questions, but doing your best to follow up. Because even if you, here's the thing, even if you can't solve the problem, Anthony, you're someone who cares enough to ask and you're someone who cares enough to try. That alone puts you head and shoulders above most other people. And that is what you can do to become irreplaceable to your clients, to your, to your team members, uh, and as a company in the marketplace, is to be able to know those three things. John, I feel like I just got a one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that, is, that is awesome. I love what you just said, talking about uh, still asking, finding that pain, right? And I know there's times where I've had people like, hey, here's, here's what's hurting. Here's where the pain I'm experiencing. And I know that it's going to be a challenge in, in my role, in my capacity. I might not have, I might not be the person that makes that final decision. But what you said after that hits so hard. But I'll let you see me fight for you. Mm. And I, I, I show my people sometimes. And you know what? Uh, you know, I on this show, there's a lot of people that that work for me that listen to it. There's people who are above me in my organization who listen to the show. I turn around. And I show my people. Hey, here I am going to bat for you. And I'm not doing it because I want your appraisal. I'm doing it because I want you to genuinely know I took what you shared. And this, whatever the organization is, and I've been in, in, you know, fortunately I've been in three organizations, but there's always a hierarchy. Right. And I tell, I tell, I tell the person that reports to me, I'm going to challenge the hierarchy. I'm going to climb the ladder. I'm going to go up the mountain on your behalf. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get a yes or no, and I don't know if I'm going to have a solution, but I'll tell you what, I'm not going to go down without a fight and I will always fight for you. And, uh, that is, I'm so glad you said that you literally, like I got goosebumps because I, I try to pride myself on that. I was going to say, and Anthony, if you go back to one of those earlier pieces when we talk about human automation, what is it we want from working with a human? It's it That is it right there. It's advocacy. I want somebody who will fight for me. A robot will not fight for me. They don't have that ability to feel, to connect, to have empathy. You do. So it's not just hearing the words, but it's doing something. And again, making sure they see it. Right. If, and it, because when they can see it and feel it, then they're like, all right, well, you know, I know it's not perfect, but I, I like Anthony. And that's one of the biggest things is it's easy to quit jobs. It's hard to quit people.
It's easy to quit jobs. It's hard to quit relationships. And that's one of the, and so that's a great statement, but how does that actually look? That's how it looks. Is you are someone who they perceive fights for them is looking out for their best interest. And again, you're valuing the, the person over the profit. You're not just th saying, throwing policy in their face. You're just like, hey, while there might be policies, it's like, yeah, there's some challenges with that, but I hear you. I'm going to do my best to support you in that and then let them see you fight for them. Dude, that is that is fired up. Yeah, that makes, you know, I felt like we went full circle on this show today because we did start with automation, advocacy, and you're ending with that advocacy. I mean, for me, it's this has been crystal clear on why becoming irreplaceable and how we should strive to be irreplaceable. And for those that are listening, right, the Catapulting Commission's team here, I would challenge you to find ways to be irreplaceable to those you serve, whether it is people who look to you for your leadership or whether it is potential customers, existing customers that are looking to you for your expertise, finding that irreplaceability. John, as we wrap this up right now, and, and, we're, and thank you for being on the show today, I would love for people to learn more from you. I mean, with all honesty, John, I, I'm... I'm 100. We can talk offline. I'd love for you to to have a call with my team and share that. I mean, that was that was fired up, dude. So, how do people get connected with John Israel? How do people who want to take that level of being irreplaceable go to that next level? Yeah, for sure. So, there's a couple things you can do. Um, number one is you can find everything on me is is at Mister is at the Mister Thank You. So, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn is at or you know uh, uh, backslash. Uh, the Mr. Thank you, MR, thank you. Um, I also have a report. So there was some of that research that I talked about as far as like the most commonly, uh, common likely replaced jobs in the coming market um, and and also um, the responses to it. So some of the content we talked about today, but a few more nuggets as far as like what you can do to become irreplaceable in your market. If you'd like a copy of that report, just go to mrthankyou.com. So mrthankyou.com slash IR. The letter I, the little R for irreplaceable. So mrthankyou.com slash IR, and you can download that free report. And uh, that's it. Great. Well, Catapult Commission's team, you have heard from Mr. Thank You himself, John Israel. I will include all the links in our show notes today. I myself am taking from this show how to be irreplaceable with those that I serve. I encourage you to do the same. John, thank you for joining the show today, and we will connect soon, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good one. Well, that does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at Anthony P. Garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions. Thank you for your time and I look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions. <laughs>